Well, what makes a great leader? Because we all have different answers. And in our world today, there are so many hot topics that are going on, from gun control to same-sex marriage, teenage pregnancy, wars happening. And, and so, there, as a family, we're looking at all of these things and we're wondering, what is the future of our family? What is the future of our children? What does that look like? Well, if you've been reading with us, doing our devotions and along with the bookmarker, you've been reading about how families uh, come and go and, and how families do well, how families uh, don't do so well, and how leadership plays a vital role in every single family. And so what we want to look at today is the life of David and his son Absalom. Because you're going to find in that family right there, there are so many things that took place that spiraled downwards and the consequences that came about weren't the best. And it could have been remedied early on, but was not remedied and was not taken care of early on. And so we're going to look at their lives because everything that takes place in our world will come from the structure of the family. It's not saying good or bad. It's just saying that that's where a lot of things are built from. It's the family. You can look at the family as as the smallest church in America. It's the smallest organization that has the greatest influence. It's the family. We all have grown up in an environment, whether good or bad, that has, have, has influenced us to become the people we are today. And so there are leaders that are in the home that may not even recognize their leaders. Whether you're a father or a mother, you could be an aunt or an uncle, you could be a child in the home because we all lead someone. And you may think, I don't lead anybody. Nobody follows me. Well, you actually lead at least one person. You lead yourself. And so it's very important to understand godly leadership in the home. Heidi and I will, uh, when our kids were growing up, we would discipline them in the best way possible. You know, we were learning about the ways of God, and so we were trying our very best to discipline our children. The problem was that Heidi grew up one way, I grew up another way. And so being married, we're trying to discipline them how we learned how to discipline. And so there are times where Heidi is a disciplinarian. She'll say, no, you didn't do this, so here's the punishment. Here's, here's how we're going to discipline you. And the kids will be like, oh, come on. And I'm on the other side saying, it's not that bad, Heidi. I mean, I did worse. There are angels compared to what I did. So you have on one side the extreme and then you're on the other side. And then there are times where it switched where I would be very hard on the children, and Heidi would say, why are you so hard on the children? And so what would happen is we would bring our children in to correct them. As we're correcting them, Heidi and I are saying two different things. And our kids are watching us go back and forth, and then Heidi and I start grumbling. And the kids are standing there thinking, so can we leave? You guys have issues. And so Heidi and I had to actually sit down and talk about how to discipline our children. We have to be on the same page. Otherwise, we confuse our children. Because if we're not getting it right in the home, and if we're not doing the leadership, doing our leadership well, and we don't have that down, it's going to trickle down to our children. And when our children learn that way, they'll catch more things of the things we do rather than the things we say. And some of us have been brought up in an environment where inadvertently we were taught how to do things wrong. We were taught how to take shortcuts. And it wasn't because our parents taught us that with the words, but sometimes by their example or sometimes through our aunties or uncles. Uh, Any of you remember going through uh, to a drive-in theater? 
Drive in. Raise your hand. Come on. Show our age. Be bold today. Show them age. Yeah, good. So we, we've, we've all, most of us have been to a drive-in theater. A drive-in theater is basically you drive to the movies, you stay in your car, and there's a theater. It's outside. So we would go to that in, in Kailua on Oahu. And while going there, our uncles would say, okay, you guys got to stay in the back. Nobody move. And they would put like tarps over us, you know, spare tires. And they would hide us in the back. I was like, what is happening? He said, no, no just, just hide. We're going to take you to the movies tonight. And we're all excited. It's like a tent. They're like, that's like a fort. So we'd be in the back. And, and I remember peeking because they would go to the ticket counter. And, and then the ticket agent would say, how many? My uncle would look at his wife and say, two. And I'm thinking, there's like 40 of us. There's, there's more than two people. And then they would go in and I'm thinking, they must have known something was up. Because the ticket counter would say 70, but the snack booth would say 500 people. So I'm sure something was caught. But that's how we were brought up. We, 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 were, we were modeled, or it was modeled to us, how to take certain shortcuts. Now, I'm not even going to bring in sneaking snacks into the movie theaters. I'm not even going to bring that up because of the cost of Mochi Crunch. I'm not even going to talk about that. But it's modeled. And it's like our children catch certain things. And I wonder if in this story that while David was raising up this young Absalom, that Absalom was catching more things that David was doing rather than how David was trying to teach them with words. Because the Bible does say that David was a man after God's own heart. And David was someone who, who as the king of Israel, was one of the greatest kings to ever lead the nation of Israel. Well, why is it so important to have godly leaders in the home? What's the importance about that? Oh, Billy Graham, in one of his messages, he quoted this. He said, you know, as the home goes, so the nation goes. The home cannot be separated from the health of a nation. And I thought, that makes sense. Because everything will come out of the home. That's what makes a great nation. It comes out of the family structure. And God designed our families in such a way that as we discipline and as we correct, as we train, as we encourage, as we build up, it's going to change the world. The smallest structure of the family changes the biggest structure in the world. And God looks to his leaders, his parents, his, the parents and those who are leading children. And even as children, how you lead in school and how you lead your friends and how you lead your relatives, we all lead to some degree. Well, you might be saying, but there's worse things to worry about in our world. There's all kinds of evil things happening in the world. True. True. But many of those things can be thwarted. It can be destroyed. It can, it can be corrected early on in the life of the family and in the lives of our children as they're growing up. See, what's more important than... Our economy, although important, what's more important than the wars and the things like that and, and the battles that we have in our world, although we need to go through those things, although we need to correct certain things, it's not so much on what's happening on Wall Street, but what's happening on our street. There's Barbara Bush who said, you know, your success as a family, our success as a nation depends not on what happens inside the White House, but on what happens inside your house. And in this story that we're going to look at today, it's amazing that the principles of God never change. That His principles are always tested and proven. 
And so if you're here today and you're saying, I'm so far from God, I don't know God, I'm, I'm not a religious person, I, I don't know too much about God, I, I, this is my first time in church, so I, I don't know where I fit in all of this. No, just look at it this way. You're a leader too, somewhere. You lead people. If not, you lead yourself. We all can learn from this story. And I just want to give you a small timeline of events that David was uh, in, his, in his life. And, and so it kind of begins with David being anointed the king of Israel. But as time goes on and he becomes this king, he comes into a, a season of his life where, where he's a little bit, he's kind of tempted. And so he sins with this woman named Bathsheba, which begins the spiral downward to his entire family. Well, he sins with Bathsheba, and, and he's confronted by Nathan, who's a prophet. And, and Nathan tells him, he says, you know, David, uh, you've done some things. And here's the consequences. And he says, the sword shall never leave your family. And true to its prophetic word, that's what took place in his life. David endures domestic problems from that day on, encounters deception, adultery, incest, even murder. And David never deals with rebellion correctly. He kind of just lets it go. And, and Absalom, his son, is watching all of this take place and, and catching these things as he grows up. Well, Am, uh, Absalom's cousin, who is a man by the name of Amnon, actually takes advantage of Absalom's sister named Tamar. And he, he takes advantage of her. And Absalom finds out that his cousin did something that was not right. And he sleeps with Tamar and, and Absalom is furious. And Absalom wants to do something about it. And he's wondering, why isn't the king, why isn't my dad doing something about this? He needs to do something about this. In fact, it wasn't his cousin, I'm sorry, it's his sister, uh, his half-sister. It was Amnon's half-sister, Absalom's sister. And so as he's looking at dad for some type of leadership, Absalom figures, you know what, dad's not going to do anything about it. I'm going to take matters in my own hands. And so Absalom goes after Amnon and murders Amnon. Now, because of that, Absalom flees from his home. And he's gone for three years. Joab sees all of this taking place. Now, Joab is Absalom's cousin. And Joab is the commander of David's army, which is David's nephew. So you can see this family kind of having some issues here. Now, Joab sees that the king is, is missing his son Absalom, and he's, he's longing for his son. So Joab arranges for, his, for Absalom to come back. So Absalom comes back to the kingdom, but he's not allowed to see the king. So Absalom wants to see his dad. He's trying to get an audience with his dad, but to no avail. And so he tries to get Joab's attention. Nothing. So Absalom actually commits a crime, and he sets Joab's field on fire. So now Joab's field is burning and Joab confronts Absalom and says, Absalom, what are you doing burning my field? And he says, Absalom says, you know, I've been trying to get your attention. Why is it that you bring me home that I can't even talk to my dad? I should have just stayed away. 
And so Joab arranges where Absalom can now speak with his father. And so he does. And finally, they embrace one another. But by then, it's too late. It's at that time where Absalom uses his influence and his passion to rebel against the king. He sits at the city gates and wins the people over, builds his own army. David still does nothing about it. Does nothing about Absalom's rebellion. And actually, David now escapes from Jerusalem, escapes from his own home, being afraid of Absalom. As time goes on, eventually Absalom goes to war with his father, David. And Absalom is killed in battle by his own cousin, Joab. What a tragic ending to a family. And we see that happening all the time. A child goes astray, or father, son, or mother, daughter, or, or father and daughter, or, or some relatives, or, or a parent goes astray, and, or, or parents leave, or mom and dad uh, have a divorce or separation. We see that happening all the time. We don't start out that way. We don't begin that way. We eventually turn out that way. And so we go through this journey of life trying to find our way to be godly leaders. We want to be leaders. We want to do well. But for some reason, many of us don't end up there. Or we want to learn some principles. We want to learn how we can be godly in our homes, to have that godly leadership in our home. It's important because the the godly leader at home bleeds into everything they do. And the same is true when we're not a godly leader at home, it'll bleed into everything that we do. See, no success outside of the home makes up for failure in it. Many of us chase things outside of the home only to find that the home falls apart. But we're going to make three vows today. It's going to be a tough one today, but it's going to be a good one. And here are the vows. And if you're taking notes, you can, you can take out your notes with us in your bulletin. And here's the first vow. And we're going to go through three of them right now. And then we'll go through the entire uh, the three vows together. But the first one is to rise up, to lead in my home before anywhere else. To rise up in my home before anywhere else. Because that's where we need to start. And then the second thing is to make relationship a priority. And I know it is for us. We love our family. But is it a priority? Do we think relationship will automatically happen? Do we think our marriages will automatically do well? That our children and us as parents will automatically be good? It needs to be a priority. Make relationship a priority. And then the last vow we're going to make is to model repentance and forgiveness in the home. To model it. Repentance and forgiveness in the home. See, David never rises up to be the leader of his home and and witnesses the consequences of his inability to correct at an early age and his inability to first start with himself. He never gets a grip on leading himself. And he sins with Bathsheba and that begins a trickle effect of the sword never leaving his family. It's like his son Absalom does, not what, the, not what the king or his father says, but what the king does. He just models what his dad does. As it says in the book of Ezekiel, it says, Everyone who quotes Proverbs will quote this proverb about you. And we say it all the time, like mother, like daughter. And the principle is still the same, like father, like right. We say it all the time. 
We'll see someone, one of our uh, teenagers behaving in a certain way. They say, wow, you act just like your mom or you act just like your dad. We'll say that because it's true. We only take on what we've been brought up with. See, we have the opportunity to change the trajectory of our children's lives if they're on the wrong path right now. That they too can lead a godly lifestyle by the by the parenting and, and us as people modeling that for the young ones. As it says, a, it takes a village to raise a child. And we live in Hawaii. We have a big village. And so many of our children, we know it's going to take more than us as parents to raise them up. They're, we're going we're gonna to have to pull in some, some support. We're going to have to bring in some, some, some uh, outside relatives and people who can help us along the way. I have people who visit here uh, from the mainland, and, and sometimes they ask me, you know, oh, so whose child is that? I say, oh, it's so-and-so. They say, wow, I was wondering because didn't that guy correct him? I said, yeah, that's his, that's his uncle. Oh, okay, but didn't that lady uh, discipline him? Yeah, yeah, that's his auntie. So what do the parents do? The parents tell the aunties and uncles to lick them. That's, that's, what, that's what we do. We're ohana. Nobody gets left behind. All get lickings. So it's like we all pull together. And we need that. We need that. You and I needed more, probably more discipline than we were given. I mean, we got away with all kinds of stuff. But it's like God is saying, no, the godly leader in the home really takes to heart the principle of modeling this godly leadership. Because more is caught than taught. Like father, like son, like mother, like daughter. I remember when we were uh, doing our very best to be good parents. We all want to be good parents. We all want to do well. And so Heidi and I were were thinking of, okay, what can we do to model this kind of lifestyle with our children? And so we put some things together. Well, one day we're watching this cartoon and it was on this thing called VHS tape. So we're watching this cartoon and, and there was a swear word in this cartoon. I said, hey, how come there's a swear word on this cartoon? And my boy said, oh, that's on the, it's a cartoon. I said, yeah, but how come it's, speaking, it's, it's talking like that? There's a swear word. We've got to throw this thing away. He said, what? I said, we've got to get rid of this. I'm sorry, boys. You know, uh, it's just, we're doing our very best to you know, not expose you to certain things. So we've we got to throw this away. They're like, Dad, why? My friends swear in school more than that and worse things. I said, no, this is in our home. We've got to get rid of it. Like, oh, man. I said, sorry, we, we got to. We, we just, we're trying our best. I said, oh, okay. And so they, we did, we threw it away. And, and they said, so, I guess you got to get rid of all yours too. Yeah, dad. <laughs> I said, what? They said, yeah, because, um, and they pulled out a stack. And there were DVDs too. They pulled out a stack and they said, look, oh, dad, this one. And they went through, uh, they had one. I had like a hundred and now I was put to the test. They said, so you got to get rid of yours, right? I was like, oh, man. Can we garage sale it? Can we make some money off of this? But they're going to challenge. And I thought that's the only way our kids are going to catch it is if we model it. I can't say something that I'm not willing to do myself. I can't give away anything that I don't own myself. And they're going to watch. And so we have to get rid of our movies. And I'm thinking, no. But it models something. And when our kids see something modeled on either side, that's what they're going to learn from. Because the mistakes I've made, they've modeled that too. They've been able to think in their minds, well, if dad can get away with it, I can get away with it. 
So it's very important that we rise up in the home more than any place else, more than work, more than school, more than in the public eye. It begins at home. See, our kids are, it's kind of like they're at a fork in the road at an early age. And the earlier we bring correction, the better chances for later on in life that they'll choose the right paths. Because at an early age, they'll listen. As they get older, they won't. And sometimes, you know, when they're little, we think it's cute that they give a sassy face or, you know, they say certain things. And we say, what a cute. I was at a gas station putting in gas and a little child showed me the finger. It wasn't this one. And inside I was thinking, I'm going to tell you father. I'm going to tell you mother. And they're in the back of the car smiling at me, showing me the finger. And I'm thinking, I I, I like if you look through this window. But I couldn't. And and I, I thought that it begins at an early age. And maybe the parents didn't know. I even had this one little child, maybe, I don't know, two years old maybe, and said a bad word. And the parent laughed. He's like, oh, so cute. He's learning how to swear. I'm like, what? Where are we coming to? And I thought, it begins at an early age. Because when we correct them then, I remember, I remember our children, when they would say a bad word, Heidi would get chili peppers. And they had to chew it. And we would watch them chew it as they would tear up. And I'm thinking, is that biblical? Can we do that? Is that even legal? Like, is CPS going to start knocking on our doors? Hey, chili peppers against the law. I don't know, but, but it helped. Now the kids are afraid, like, oh, no. We're in church today. The pastor said we got to put chili pepper in our mouth. What I am saying is that it takes leadership in the home. It takes leadership. God is going to show you how to discipline. God is going to show us as parents how to show them the way. The question is, will we take that road? Because God holds us responsible as parents to raise them up in the ways that they should go. And then as children, even in school, God holds you responsible as someone who believes in God to follow the right path. You wait till later on in life to bring correction. Absalom can happen. Absalom's rebellion in his heart was never corrected. And by the time they wanted to correct him, it might have been too late for Absalom to change or to turn and as they grow up, it'll, it'll come to a point in their life that it's not that they won't listen. They will just feel the need not to listen. They will feel like, well, what's the sense? Dad, you're like that. Mom, you're like that. Or why are you correcting me now? It changes as our children grow up. It changes as we grow, even in our relationship, in our marriages. But if it's modeled in the home, then it, as, as John 3, John 1, 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And if you're, if you're a parent, even as a grandparent, it's a joy when we see our children, our grandchildren walk in truth. And at the same time, it's aggravating. And it's, 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 we have heartache when we see our children walk in evil. As a father and a mother, as a child, we have the responsibility to walk in the ways of God. He, he's given us that responsibility. And we've made some vows As parents, once our children were born, we made some vows saying we're going to raise them up well. As husband and wife, we've made vows together and we've said this is our vows. This is what we're going to do. And it's something that we vowed to do. Psalm 5610, 
It says, I praise God for what he has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I will fulfill my vows to you, O God, and will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. Here's the good news. We're not in this alone. God gives us help. He doesn't just leave us on the side and say, well, up to you, whatever you want to do. It's your choice. And to some degree, He gives us a choice. But He says, but I will help you in your choices. I'll show you the way. I'll give you guidance. And so we praise God for His promises. We were thankful that we fulfilled our vows, not just to Him, but with one another, because He helps us. And we give thanks to Him because of His help. That's how, that's how much God values relationship. He values relationship so much that He sent His one and only Son to die for us so that we can have a relationship with Him. In other words, God went first. He made relationship a priority, which is our second point, our second vow. God made that a priority. And so He's calling us to make relationship a priority. See, with King David, his position took precedence over his parenting. And sometimes... We, whether we work somewhere, we have a business, or we're a manager, or, or, or we're doing something in the community, sometimes our position takes precedence over our parenting. And we, do, we, we, we devote so much time and energy towards outside things that are not in the home, that by the time we're in the home, there's no more energy left. We're tired, we're frustrated because of what takes place outside of the home. Now, here's the paradox we're all in. In order for us to have a family and to raise a family, we have to make a living. And so we're working. And sometimes we have to work two jobs. Sometimes both parents have to work because we need to provide. And so it's not that easy to say, well, I need to spend more time at home. Well, I have to work overtime because I need to pay the bills. If I don't pay the bills, we're not going to have a home. So we're in this paradox as family. And how do we do that? God makes a way. Because when relationships are a priority, then we prioritize our relationships. But if we don't make it a priority, then we'll never prioritize. We'll just keep using the same thing over and over, the same excuse over and over, or the same reason because it's valid. But if we make our priorities family, relationship, you watch how God works that out. I remember sitting down with my children and with Heidi, and, and I would have to tell them, you know, if dad gets too busy, let me know. And boy, when they call you on the carpet, it's at that point that we're going to have to own up to the vow that we made that we're going to have to do something and maybe restructure some things or think things through. I remember when I would sit down and and Heidi would say, well, uh, you are busy here, so can you take a vacation here or there? And I'm thinking, I can't. I can't afford to. There's no way possible. I'm not able to. And I'll give her all the reasons why. But then she would say, you said to let you know. I'm letting you know. And you know, the sacrifice here is a lot less painful and costly than the major sacrifices that will have to happen because I didn't do the little things here. It's going to be far greater later. It's going to be far more difficult when we wait than if we take care of the small things now. When Absalom was away from his family, it was Joab who after three years saw that David missed his son, and, and planned a way for him to come back. And in Second Samuel fourteen thirty three, Joab goes to the king, and, and he told him, and when he had called for Absalom, 
He came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. And it can seem like a, a, a pivotal point in their relationship as father and son. Almost like, okay, they're going to get it together now. They made all things right. And so it was, there was like a glimmer of hope that their relationship was going to be good. But after that moment, Absalom begins his own agenda and commits treason with the king. But what's worse is he actually rebels against his own family. And he begins to subtly at the gates pull people his way. He would rise early at the gates and in 2 Samuel 15, 3 it's recorded. Then Absalom would say, you know, you've got a really, you've really got a strong case here. You know, it's too bad that the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment. And I would give them justice. It's like Absalom, is, he started to lobby for people, for his, re, his leadership, and, and gain people's favor. And then when he did, he started to build an army. And, and Absalom was more concerned about his own agenda rather than his relationship with his father. But guess where he learned it from? See, he was watching David all his life. David's position took precedence over his parenting. David wasn't about relationship. And sure, he had a lot of pressures as being the king. But I wonder if David... I wonder if David wished he could have had a better relationship with his son. I wonder what was going on in David's mind. I wonder if... If David made his relationship a priority with Absalom, then the kingdom would still carry on at even a greater height than what David could bring it to. I think with us, God modeled it well when he sent his son, letting us know that it's all about relationships. That's why this love and respect marriage class is so important. And and for those of you who are married or maybe thinking of getting married, it's 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 a great class Basically, this class, Love and Respect, is about husbands learning to love their wives. Learning how to love their wives. And then the wives learning how to respect their husbands. It's a win-win situation. I can't tell you how much I believe in this class that when you attend this class, it's setting you up for a great marriage. Some of us think, no, when I get married, it's going to be good. Because when you get married, then everything works out. When you get married, my wife can change. When I get married, my husband's going to change. No, no, no. When you're married, you find out everything about each other that you never knew. So we need tools to help us in the marriage so when those things pop up here and there, we know how to handle it. Because, and I mean this in a good way, when you get married, the idea and the plan is to be married forever. 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 <laughs> so, it's, that's the plan. So in order for us to do well forever, until death do us part, we have to have something in place that will sustain our marriage and help us to excel in our marriage, not just our vows on the wedding day. So this marriage class, Love and Respect, they're going to have uh, at our information center... Uh, the, the registration and, and take that step to rise up and say to one another, we're going to rise up. We're not going to wait for our marriage to fall apart and then do this class. We're going to 
strengthen our marriage now. Because as the kids continue to grow up or as we continue to grow in our marriage, things will change. Seasons will change. Our lives will change. But if we don't have anything in place for our marriage, then we're only setting it up to fail. But this class will help us to continue to move forward to have a strengthened marriage. And it's in the marriage structure that many things will be modeled, not just for one another, but for our children. That's where forgiveness happens. That's where repentance takes place. Repentance is basically turning away from our own evil ways or sin and turning towards God. It's heading in His direction. That's the third vow. It's modeling that. It's modeling repentance and forgiveness in the home. Because our children will catch that. Forgiveness is is God's pardon for our sins. He pardons our sins so that we can pardon one another's sins. That we can forgive because God first forgave us. He's given us forgiveness so that we can give that out to other people. Civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. He said, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It is a permanent attitude. And it's modeled in the home. Here's two scriptures that will help with the core of our heart when it comes to repentance and forgiveness. And the first one is Psalm 51, verses 2 and 3. And it says, Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I, and you want to circle this, I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. It's almost like the the psalmist is saying there's rebellion in there and I recognize it. So I'm going to do something about it because it's haunting me. There's something happening in my heart. So God, can you, can you wash me clean from this guilt? Purify me from my sin. And when we're able to do that, when we recognize our rebellion, then He's able to help us to repent, to turn from our wicked ways. The second one is Psalm 51.10. And He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And then renew a right spirit within me. We're not going to be able to ask for forgiveness or give forgiveness if we don't have a clean heart, if we don't have a right spirit, hard to do because we're dealing with other things. And God is saying, I can help you in this thing called forgiveness. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. I will clean out your heart. I'll make you brand new. I'll give you a right spirit. And when we have that right spirit, we too can forgive others. The other day I was uh, kind of rushing out of the home and I was going to make a smoothie because we bought this blender and, you know, quick smoothie, easy, you know, three minutes you can make breakfast. And so Heidi saw me making a smoothie, and she said, Oh, can you make me one too? That's exactly what happened. I paused, and I said, Sure. And she goes, No, no need, no need, no need. I said, No, 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 I'll make it. I just, you know, just watching my time, and I, you know, I got to go. And she goes, No, no, I, I'll make it. I'll just make it during lunch. I said, No, no, no. I asked, you asked already, so I'm going to make it. She goes, No, you made the face. You all know what I'm talking about if you're married. So she said, no, you made the face. I said, well, I'm saying because I was, I'm busy. I got to go in the time. And, and she goes, no, I'm, I, that's okay. No need to make them. I said, too, too late, too bad. I'm going to make them and you can drink them. She goes, I'm not going to drink them. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to make them. I'm going to put them in the refrigerator. And as she's walking away, I said, I just go make them. And up to you. You can throw them away. You can waste. So I, I made it and put it in the refrigerator. And then I started to make mine. And because it already heated up, you know, the motor for her smoothie, it kicked off when I was making mine. And so I'm thinking, I gotta go. And I want to drink this smoothie as I'm going. I can't drink it now because it's chunky. It did not blend well. 
So I'm thinking, okay, settle down. It's just a smoothie. So I put my smoothie in the, uh, in the refrigerator, in the freezer on the door. And then I put the motor in the freezer to cool it down so that when I come back out after I get ready, it'll be cooled down. Now, I don't recommend that. It's just me thinking. So I get ready. And as I'm getting ready, I'm thinking, wait a minute. I need to tell Heidi that the smoothie is on the door lest she open it and it falls down. But I'm brushing my teeth and I can't say, I can't speak. So I'm finished brushing my teeth. And I said, Heidi, I left my smoothie on the freezer door. So be careful when you open up the freezer. uh, freezer." She goes, too late. I said, what? She goes, I opened it already and it fell on the ground and it cracked. I was like, the first thing came to my mind was, so I get no smoothie. So my smoothie is ruined. I can't. So I just let it go and thought to myself, if I say another word, it's over. This day is doomed. And so I just let it go, and I'm getting ready, and I'm thinking, how am I going to deal with this? So I let it go. Heidi comes into the room. She comes in very sweet and gentle and godly like she always is. And she says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way I was talking. I'm sorry that I broke the thing. I'm sorry. Give me a hug. I said, okay. It's okay. I said, it's okay. It's just a cup. No biggie. There's extra cups. And she said, it wasn't the cup. It was the blade. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. It's all good. We're done. And I said, it's okay. We, we got another blade thing. We can use it. It's, we're fine. And I was so thankful that she went first. I had no idea what to do. But she went first. And I thought, that's what I want to do. Lord, give me a heart that goes first. I don't want my day to be ruined because of something so small. Because that's what we do. We don't take care of the little things early on which ruins the bigger dreams. It's all the little things that we don't take care of early on in our marriages that destroy us later on in life. It's all the little things that we don't take care of with our children that later on in life we wish we did. It's the little things. God says when when you're a a leader who, who models forgiveness and repentance in the home, your children catch it. My son is in college right now, and when he was at home, he would play this game, and it's on Xbox. And the thing about this game is you can be a host, and others can play. And so he's playing this game, but Heidi says, Hey, Jordan, you need to do your chores. Okay, I'm almost done. We know how that goes, parents, if your kids are gamers. And then she came about half an hour later, Jordan, did you do your chores? Oh, no, no, not yet. I'll I'll do it. She goes, Okay, make sure you do your chores. An hour goes by. Jordan, did you do your chores? No, Mom. Now, that tone, right? That tone. It's more because he's not doing well in the game. So his anger gets the best of him. And so he takes it out on Mom. And of course, Mom says, hey, you better watch your attitude, right? We say that without you. You better watch your attitude. An hour and a half goes by. Finally, Heidi comes back and says, Jordan, did you do your chores yet? No, Mom, I didn't. Next thing you know, the electricity goes off. His game, gone. And all he hears, ah, what happened? He comes out of his room. He says, electricity went off. But he sees the TV on. He sees the light on. He's like, what happened? And Heidi's sitting down. She goes, no, no, no. I just turned off the electricity to your room. (laughs) What? 
Mom, why'd you do that for? I told you over and over to do your chores. I gave you an hour and a half. Mom, you don't know what that did. You know, the, everybody was on the same game and we all, everything is lost. And, and which I understand. And Heidi said, I gave you time. I gave you an hour and a half, Jordan. She goes back into his room. Waits a little while and some time goes by. Comes outside and you know, he's making some food because maybe depression set in. So he's looking for some comfort. <laughs> comes out, makes some cereal. And after a while, he comes to Heidi and he goes, Mom, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't listen. I'm sorry I didn't do my chores. I'm sorry. It's not your fault that this happened. So I'm sorry. And Heidi goes, You're right, it's not my fault. Why are you putting me through all of this heat when you're the one that's supposed to do your chores? It was, it, you should have done your chores. And then he laughed, and then they hugged, they embraced, and, and it was done. And I looked at Jordan, and I was like, Good call, buddy. And then, you know, Heidi eventually, you know, hooked up his electricity and turned it on because he paid his bill. So everything was good. <laughs> and and when, when that takes place, and, and you, you see this when, when our children do that, doesn't that mean something to you as parents? When our children make things right with you, even if it's, even if it's something that they struggle through, that as parents, when we see that happen in our home, it's, it's like everything changes. And when it's modeled in the home, our children are going to catch it because more is caught than taught. They're going to catch on. It may not catch on at age 15 or 16, maybe 17 years old. It may not happen till 23 years old, but if it's modeled, you'll watch it. They'll catch on. Because relationships are that valuable. But if we never model it, who will they learn from? I wonder how many times in King David's home that forgiveness and repentance weren't modeled. I wonder if there was even a close relationship between David and his son Absalom. Because it didn't seem like it. In 2 Samuel 18.33, when Absalom died and was killed in battle, the king, the Bible says, was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room over the gateway to, and burst into tears. And, and as he went, he cried, Oh, my son, Absalom, my son, Absalom, my son, if, I, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. I wonder what kinds of emotions David was going through in, in order for this to be recorded. I wonder if he felt regret. I wonder if he felt the pain of I should have. I could have. Why didn't I? I wonder if that's why it was such a grieving moment. It was such a, a moment of grief where David was trying to, trying to capture and, and control his emotions. I wonder what was going on in the back of his mind. See, forgiveness and repentance and everything that needs to be modeled. The family is important when the relationships are valuable. There may come a day in our lives where we will be so thankful that we won't have the regrets. That we will say, I'm glad I did. And as children, we will say, I'm glad my mom did. I'm glad my dad did. I'm glad they corrected me. I'm glad they steered me in the right direction. I'm glad they helped me. Because we only got one shot at this. We only have one shot at our children.
being at a certain age. We only have one shot at our child being three years old. We only have one shot at our child being seven years old. We only have one shot as, as our teenagers become 13, 14, 15. We've got one shot at, at a sweet 16th birthday. We've got one shot when they turn 18. That will never come back to us. You will never relive your child's lives, our children's lives at that early age. You're never going to relive their teenage years. But listen very carefully. We're not raising up our children and setting these priorities with our children for this relationship for just today. We got 18 years to have a relationship with our children for the rest of our entire life. So we got to get this right. That's why godly leadership is so valuable, so important. Because it changes not just the family structure or the family, but it will actually change the world. One family at a time. One relationship at a time. One moment at a time. God is the one who helps us. Psalm 32, verses 3 through 5, it says, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was, on, was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. I'm so thankful that when we catch our rebellion that we can go to God, confess it to Him, and all the guilt is gone. Before we can be a godly leader in the home, we first need to be a godly leader here. It's in our heart. Let's give it all we got. Amen. And close your Bible and put away your notes. It was President Eisenhower who told this tale. And he said, he said, an old farmer had a cow that we wanted to buy. So we went over to visit him and asked about the cow's pedigree. And the old farmer did not know what pedigree meant, so, so we asked him about the cow's butterfat production. Well, he, he told us that he did not have any idea. Finally, we asked him if he knew how many pounds of milk the cow produced each year. The farmer shook his head and he said, You know, I ain't have any idea about production or butterfat production or pedigree. But I can tell you this, old Betsy here, she will give you all the milk that she's got. I think as parents and as family, as children, we don't know if we get this thing right. And at the end of parenting and our kids growing up, we, don't, we can't say, oh, I did this right, I did that. We, we don't know for sure what is right in, in this thing called parenting. We know God's way. We know we can, we can gain from His Word and wisdom, but we all parent differently. But maybe with the same godly principles, we'll get it better. And we may not know about being the father, being the mother, being the child, but at the end of our family life, Hopefully we can come to the day where we can say to ourselves, you know, I don't know about all that stuff, but all I know is I will give it all that I've got. 
And I think that's all we can ever ask for from our families. Just give all that you've got. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads? We'll pray. Lord, as we pray together, I know that there are many things that you have spoken to us. Many, many of us are, are maybe struggling or, or maybe we're doing well. Maybe our children are grown up and we have a great relationship with them. And maybe our grandchildren are now in the, in the picture and, and we're trying our very best to be the grandparent. Maybe things aren't going well. Maybe we could do better. But we're all at different phases of life. We're all at different areas and different seasons. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that as you build in us that godly leader that you see us to be, that we will give it all we got, that we'd rise up, we'd make relationships a priority, that we would model repentance and forgiveness. You went first, Lord. You showed us the way. If you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, I, God spoke some things to me, so I want to I be that godly leader in the home. And I want to do better. And if that's you and you're saying, yeah, that's me, I want to do better in the home, I'm going to ask if you just lift a hand and all you're doing is responding to God and saying, God, I want to do better in the home. I want to be that godly leader. Yeah, many of our hands, we're saying, Lord, I want to be that godly leader. Good, good, good. Many of us. Lord, I lift my hand too. You can put your hands down. Lord, you've given us a way. And you said you are the way, the truth, and the life. So thank you for teaching us as we make these vows together. May we help one another, encourage one another to become the godly leader you see us to be. We'll give it all we got. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen.